You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-19. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it, if you hold on to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believed to no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me. For I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by God's grace, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not ineffective. However, I worked more than any of them, yet not I, but God's grace that was with me. Therefore, whether it is I or they, so we preach, and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is preached and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is without foundation. And so is your faith. In addition, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we have testified about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Therefore, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have placed our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. Please be seated. Would you just bow your heads and pray with me where you're sitting? Father God, um, what a privilege it is to open your word. What a privilege it is to read the words of the Apostle Paul who considered himself unworthy, who considered himself the least of these. Father, uh, I would just ask through your Holy Spirit that you would speak through me, that you would keep me from error, that you would help me to rightly divide your word, speak your truth to your people through your word, and I pray that we would not be changed as we leave this place. I pray that this would not just be another Sunday morning where we're hearing a a sermon, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us through your word to be changed and our lives transformed for your glory, and for the glory of those who do not know you. In Jesus' name I pray. So, um, two questions I'd like to ask uh, you to consider that I brought to this text as I was preparing um, about transformation in our lives. Uh, The first one is, if you go to that next slide, uh, what does it mean to believe and proclaim the kingdom of God the gospel of Jesus Christ. And second, how, this, how does this true, truth reshape our living as believers and members 
of the kingdom of God today as Christians. I think one of the many lessons that we're going to be reminded of this morning um, is the importance of preaching the full and the complete gospel to ourselves every day. To ourselves every day. And we're going to see Paul doing this in this text. Uh, a little bit of context to help you zero in on this first audience. Always important to, to understand who this first audience is. This is one of two letters that's written by the Apostle Paul to the church. Uh, he planted this church. They're struggling. They're having a lot of issues, um, various issues, and some are real doozies. Um, but of all the concerns that Paul has here, his biggest concern is their doctrine. They are straying from doctrine. They're, they're moving off center and they're starting to not understand anymore what the gospel is. Uh, sound Christian doctrine is the foundation of our understanding of, of Jesus Christ. So for this church, the world outside is really pressing in. Um, they're wanting to conform this church to their ways rather than being transformed by the gospel and the teaching that Paul had, had instilled in them by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Corinth, think about uh, the Panama Canal. Uh, Corinth would be something like that, where you've got ships that have to pass through, and so it's a very affluent, a very wealthy city, and, and a lot of trade happening. Um, it's, an, it's in an area that was colonized uh, by, the, the, by Rome, uh, Greece. And so Roman laws and customs are just as important to them uh, as the gospel or anything else. They don't consider anything more important than the other. They have a lot of small G gods, uh, upper-class citizens. The city is known for being evil and wicked. Uh, prostitution, rampant. Uh, social status is awarded by who can belong to the best associations, the best clubs. And so they even pay professional speakers to come in and teach them how to be more socially affluent, how to be more eloquent with the way they speak. They speak. Um, so Paul planted this church, but he realizes they're not doing well. We've got big issues here, and, and we see this by the tone of his writing, his, his stress and his concern at certain points in there where he's really challenging them to understand uh, what he's been teaching them. So one of the major doctrines that Paul addresses here is they're struggling with Christ's physical and bodily resurrection. Um, they've developed serious doubts about the truth of the gospel. Now, uh, Paul knows that non-Christians in Corinth, they hold a strong disbelief to any physical life after death. That's just part of their culture. Um, so you have non-Jews, they're non-Jews, and uh, they've placed their belief in Jesus, but they're now taking part of these beliefs that are still part of their culture, and, and they're filtering them back in to what the gospel that they heard from Paul. Um, so for the people of Corinth, death poses a problem that there is no solution to. There's no, there isn't anything that happens after you die. Uh, and, and a resurrected body is like a fantasy. It's, 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 it's like a, a, it would be like a cartoon. So, so get why Paul is so deeply concerned here. I mean, this is a major issue. The foundation of the church is Christ, amen? Any, correct, any incorrect understanding or any flaws in our understanding of the gospel, any unbelief, leads the church to fail in focusing on others who do not know Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. Any failure to understand the gospel 
believe it, live it out, causes the church to lose focus, and that focus is supposed to be partly on people who don't know Jesus. So it compromises the outward mission of the church. The church also has an inward mission, but it compromises the outward mission of the church. Um, to disciple, to multiply. Now, for Paul, unlike these non-Jews, uh, Paul was taught about resurrection growing up. Uh, he studied the Old Testament. If you look at the Old Testament, uh, we don't have to look, work very hard or look very far to find teaching on physical resurrection. Uh, Isaiah 26, 19, that promises a physical resurrection. Your dead shall rise, says the Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, speaking of the awakening, quote-unquote, many who sleep in the dust of the earth, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And then there's others. There's Job 14.14, uh, 14, Psalm 16.10, 73. Um, now, you have to understand that Jews believed in a different kind of physical resurrection, and, and this ties in very closely to why the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection is so incredible. Jews believed that there was mass resurrection. You would not find a Jewish person that would believe that one person could resurrect. So when they see Jesus, when the women see Jesus, this is not something that they could hallucinate. You don't hallucinate about things you've never seen before. So Jews believed in mass resurrection. Jesus resurrects singularly. Uh, fantastic and, and just Praise God for the deeper we go into our Bibles, the more truth we have, and the more truth we have, the more encouragement we have that this is the God of the universe. Jesus rose, died, rose, and, and resurrected. Uh, and so it's a fantastic truth that we can dig deeper uh, and, and get more truth. Um, but also, get what this lack of understanding for this church at Corinth favoring tradition is doing inside the church. The text describes a church living in doubt, resulting in fear, uh, because there's a lack of focus on the reality that Paul gave them about Christ. Uh, I'm in verses 12 to 14, and I think if you can pull that up on the slide for me. So, now if Christ is proclaimed and raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? Right? This is, if Christ is proclaimed, raised from the dead, this is the gospel that you, they believe this, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, you see he's, making, he's, he's reasoning with them from the scriptures, saying, look, if this, then this. Christ hasn't been raised. Our proclamation is without foundation, and so is your faith. So look what's happening here. There's a shifting of focus away from the eternal kingdom of God to the temporary kingdom of the earth. A shifting away from the eternal kingdom of God to the temporary things of this world. Um, people beginning to doubt the truth of the gospel begin fearing rather than moving outward. Uh, they stop loving for the sake of the gospel. And we, and we see by the issues Paul talks about in his letter here that there's many that have unloving attitudes uh, towards each other. Uh, knowing and holding to your faith matters. What we understand about Scripture and how much time... Uh, our brother elder this morning talked about spending time in Scripture every day. That isn't just a, a suggestion. That is our lifeline. That's the lifeline that holds us tight when the world wants to, like, a, like opening the, the door of an airplane, suck us out back into their reality. That's not our reality as Christians. 
So do this with me. Let's, let's take an imaginary trip, okay? We're, we're here or anywhere else you want to be, um, and we're asking Christians about Jesus right now. What happens, and if you can go to that next slide for me, brother, what happens after you die? And let's listen to the responses. L listen in your mind. Listen to what responses you might get. And I would suggest that you even ask some of your brothers and sisters in the Lord, ask them what they believe about this, and, and work to help people who are younger in the faith to understand. Does Jesus Christ have a physical body right now? Will you and I have a physical body after we die? Now, um, there may be some that are new in the faith here, uh, or someone struggling to answer this question. That's okay, right? Um, I hope not. But if we look at John uh, chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In Revelation 1, 5, uh, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, firstborn, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, amen, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So we find Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. We read of him appearing to the disciples, eating with the disciples. One of the most beautiful verses is when Jesus actually stands to welcome the, uh, 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 Stephen after he's martyred. Jesus actually stands. Beautiful passage. My question is, how can Christ be described as sitting or in other places eating or standing after his death and resurrection without a physical body? How could he appear after his resurrection and eat with the disciples, have people touch him without a physical body? The answer is he can't. He has a glorified physical body right now. He's seated next to the Father. And you and I, who are believers, will have glorified bodies with him. Amen? That's a truth worth remembering. That's a truth worth proclaiming. But my question is this. If, if we as Christians aren't sure of this truth, and we can't explain it properly using Scripture, uh, where is our focus? Um, kingdom, God's kingdom, or this temporary life on earth? Um, how can a Christian proclaim or spread the gospel when there's serious questions and doubts? And that's what Paul's really getting at here in these verses. He's like, you know, look, you guys are on a mission here, you, you know, and, and how can you move forward with that mission when you're starting to question the very things that you believed and that you ta were taught and that you held on to. This is also why God appoints shepherds, overseers. We're under shepherds. Christ is the shepherd. We are under shepherds. He appoints these men to positions to watch over souls, to guide, to say, hey, you know, this looks, this looks a little strange. Let's, let's get this back into the lane where you belong um, so that you'll mature, so that you'll go on and make more followers. And so you, you see why Paul is so concerned. He's a church planter. So Paul didn't, and if you can go to that next slide, Paul didn't plant the church so that everyone would have a place to go, somewhere to go. He planted the church so people would also go out and disciple new believers. It's a circle of a healthy church. It's a circle of a life of a healthy church. It's not just somewhere to go. It's somewhere that you are sent out from as well. 
local outreach, evangelism, and the Great Commission. These are the lifeblood of the church. So back to our text. Um, we see Paul's urgency come through in the very first verse. He says, let me clarify, right? When someone says, you know, you're talking to somebody, having a conversation, they say, well, let me clarify for you. It, they believe that you're not understanding completely, right? They believe that there's some problem in comprehension. So Paul says, let me clarify the gospel I proclaimed for you. And he reminds them that they received it. In other words, they became believers. You're saved by the gospel. But he adds a really important disclaimer. I don't know if you caught it. Look, he says, if you hold on to the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe for no purpose, right? Was it just, uh, just something you did that afternoon? So look how Paul is, he writes to correct thinking in his church that's been focusing on everything except what's most important in verse 3. And Paul says, I passed on to you as most important what I also received. So look at the shift he's going to make now. And this is the shift that is so important that um, no matter how much scripture I know, no matter how many sermons I've given, no matter how many people that I've had the privilege of, of telling Jesus about leading to the Lord, I am the same as each one of you sitting here today in nature and essence, a sinner saved by God's grace. Paul's saying, I'm not better than any of you. You know, like, don't start with that. He says, I also received this gift, the gospel. You know my past as a former radical Jew. Then I was called directly by Christ himself to be his apostle, his ambassador. So now I'm your teacher, okay? Same, I came up through the same, same way you did in one sense. And if anyone has reason to think they have a higher position in your church, right? You guys start thinking, oh, because you go to this social club and you don't go to that, you can't get into that club. You're better because this is what's going on, right? That, is that loving? Is that, no. So Paul's going, you guys are off the tracks here. Come back, you know? And it also sounds to me like someone who preaches the gospel to himself every day, who is not only speaking it, but he's also internalizing it because he remembers this, right? And so Paul says, no, I received this. Don't make me out to be some kind of king, and don't you dare put each other on different levels of importance. Uh, no one is more important or, or less important. So look at the verses starting in 4, and Paul reminds them of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can advance that slide there just to, uh, yeah. He said, apparently Paul believes they need to be reminded that Christ died for us, according to the scriptures. Paul says, are you amazed? I'm amazed when I find, so we have Jesus in scripture pointing to scripture. We have the apostle Paul who gave us a majority of the New Testament. What do they do? They don't say, I'm saying this. Scripture says this. Scripture says this. So he's, he's pointing to scriptures. But what scriptures is Paul referring to here? Right? What's, it can't be the scriptures that he's writing at this time. Right? And the point that I want to make here is this. Every book of the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, every verse, every chapter, every word, singularly points to Jesus Christ as our Savior. So it isn't just the New Testament. It isn't just one verse from the New Testament or, or a, a verse that says that. Every single book in the Bible works together, unified, to point to Christ. Um, so Paul's Jewish. He was born to the tribe of Benjamin. And, and the apostles' parents were part of the Pharisees or the ones that Jesus were call, called experts in the law, the ones that were uh, not, not quite what they appeared to be. He condemns them, Jesus. So beginning at the age of 13, uh, he would be Saul at this time. 
he was sent to Palestine to learn from a rabbi. Uh, he, he mastered Jewish history. He spends, by best guesses, about six years, according uh, to the best guesses, intensively studying scripture with his rabbi. Then he goes on to become a lawyer. So uh, Paul was probably preparing to become one of the Sanhedrin. Uh, that's the thought. Uh, this is the Jewish Supreme Court, 71 men who ruled over everything there was. So we would call Paul an extremist, right? He was a radical Jew. He wasn't just an average Jew. He was, you know, take it to the, to the max. This is Paul. This is his Judaism. And so it's amazing because um, he gives a t an account of his conversion. In the book of Galatians, in the, in the first chapter, verses 13 through 24, you find Paul's conversion. And uh, so Paul, referring to the Old Testament scriptures that he studied as a Jew, he's now using them to point to Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior. It, quite a miracle uh, from this radical Jew named Saul, killing and persecuting Christ followers, saved, and now a Christ follower using the same Old Testament scriptures he studied to teach Christ as Lord. That only happens with God. Just like missionaries in Brazil only become missionaries of a church in Hastings, Nebraska by a miracle. It, it's all God's supernatural work that we can't begin to understand. We can only give him praise and thanks. So Paul is saying the message of the cross and the Christ that you believed in must be understood through the Old Testament categories, suffering, sacrifice, atonement, and restoration. So, some of the specific scriptures, and we're not going to take time to read them, but I'll just point to them for you. Uh, the Old Testament Psalms, uh, we would probably say Psalm 110, uh, Psalm 8. I think certainly uh, Paul had in mind the prophet Isaiah. He studied as a, as a young man with his rabbi. Um, just listen, I'll read quickly this, Isaiah 53, and you know it probably. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs. This is Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. And then jumping to verse 11, uh, out of the anguish of his soul, I may have that on a slide if you want to put that up there, brother. See that? Yeah, there we go. Verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge, shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. There's the gospel in the Old Testament. And he shall bear their iniquity. So that's Christ in the Old Testament, plain as day. And Paul sees it now. And of course, we're told in the Old Testament, Jesus comes from the line of David. We find that in 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16, Isaiah 11, Jeremiah 23. It confirms that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah. All scriptures are pointing to him. You can move that slide forward if you want. Um, so as if that's not enough, right? Here you have Paul, an expert in the scriptures. You know, this, this is a, a, a man who was, uh, he knew his Old Testament, and he's preaching the gospel to them. But as if that's not enough, uh, the call for them to move forward, Paul goes beyond what anybody could imagine he might write with these crushing words in verse 9. Uh, listen to these. He says, I'm the least of these apostles. I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is amazing humility. And I pray that God always reminds me how he uses the humble. I pray that for each one of us, our humility shines forth 
in, in, the, in the hardest of moments, because this is, this is our God, this is our gospel, and followers reflect that. So uh, the Corinthian church, they know Paul's testimony, they know that Paul didn't have the same three-year training process the other disciples had with Jesus. But God uses Paul to write a large amount of our New Testament. He gives us a lot of our New Testament. Um, Listen to verse 10 or look at verse 10 with me. Paul feels as though he's worked very hard, harder than most, but he's the least because he understands the extraordinary grace that he's given. You know, just off the chart grace. So look at the connection. Don't, Don't miss this. Zero in now, if, 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 you're, if you're somewhere else, zero in on this, because this is an important connection. Paul's abnormal story, and he says the abnormal right in, the, in our verses, and his birth as a believer and his life with Christ as a member of God's kingdom being abnormal, look at the comparison to that with Christ's birth, his story of being very abnormal, right? I mean, wait a minute. Isn't that the guy from, um, that's Joseph and Mary's kid, right, from Nazareth? I mean, isn't that him? Oh, yeah, he's, he thinks he's the Messiah. Yeah, he's uh, going to save the world, you know, save their people from their sin, right? Yeah, how abnormal is that, right? Baby, carpenter, God-man, savior, right? That's fairly average, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, this is, you, I mean, this is just the most incredible, uh, and, and so Paul's, Paul is making, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wants you to catch that connection. He says, abnormal is normal for Christians. Abnormal is normal for Christians because God is the creator of all, and he does the totally unexpected, and he uses people that are totally unexpected. Paul's conversion happens instantly, right? Boom. And he understands he's been given enormous grace. Uh, And I believe Paul is saying to the church, do you understand you get the grace that you've been given? Look at my life. Look at me. Grace. It's all grace. Um, interesting here, a little, little side note. The word grace is used um, three different ways here. In verse 10, uh, it's God's grace, his kindness that made Paul what he was. Okay, that's the first use of grace. And then second, it's God's saving grace, right? So it was enabling grace. Same word in verse 14. And then the third way it's used is the grace empowers Paul to serve the Lord. This becomes really important if you look at verse 11, uh, because it, it, it's, the whole chapter shows the Corinthians had believed in the resurrection of Jesus and the basics of faith. Paul says, God's grace was with me in 11, therefore, I'm in verse 11, therefore, whether it is I or they, so we proclaimed, and so you have, past tense, you have believed. So we're speaking about Paul's grace. He, he wants to identify himself with this church body, saying, look at my life. It was not ineffective, right? The grace that I received was not ineffective. Don't let it be ineffective in your life either, Paul says, right? Do you get it, church, Paul's asking? Right? You didn't get this just to, to say, okay, yeah, grace, fine. Then verse 12, Paul gets right. This is... You know, this is the point where, where I'd be like, uh, wow, we got some issues here. He says, if the pro-, I'm in verse 12, if the proclamation of God's kingdom you believed is Christ raised from the dead, right? That's, you, you gave me that, a thumbs up. How can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead, right? So we're seeing Paul plea with the church. Come on, church. I love you guys. Come on. Don't do this. Don't, don't drive yourselves right off a cliff into nowhere. 
Stay with the gospel. Stay with Christ. Stay with what you know to be true. And we see the deep concern. I mean, he's pleading, uh, you know, and he goes on. He says, we're liars. If this isn't true, do you realize that we're liars? Because we proclaimed his kingdom. Uh, His resurrection includes yours and mine. So, uh, you know, I would be, I would be, mortified reading this letter if Paul was to write this letter uh, to a church I was a part of. And he says, um, you can't make us liars. Worse, um, drop down to 17. He says, if this is not true, okay, you know, so, okay, let's go with your theory. Let's, let's push this forward to its logical conclusion. Christ isn't raised in his body. Not only is your faith worthless, right? You're dead in sin. There's no hope for you or anyone before you who died believing. Now that's, we don't have time to go into that, but think about this question. How were people in the Old Testament saved? And, and I'll let my brother, Pastor Joe, that'll be it. But, you know, so in other words, this, is, this whole thing is done, right? If, what you're, if we want to push your logic forward, we're done. Um, so my question is here, back to the question, what does it mean to believe and proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Secondly, how does it reshape our living as believers and members of the kingdom of God today as Christians. So now, we're not done. We're, we're narrowing in here. I'm trying to get us in on time. Um, and my, my pre-conclusion to my conclusion, uh, <laughs> uh, it's going to likely make many people uncomfortable. Um, but, and if we can go to that next slide, brother. Um, I don't believe the word of God is given only to comfort us. Okay, so hear what I'm saying carefully. I believe the word of God is our ultimate comfort, but I do not believe that it is ultimately given only to make us comfortable. Okay, there's a big difference between those two points and focus and understanding. Right? God's kingdom purpose for us as followers, right? The word of God is our ultimate comfort, but I don't believe that the word of God... Oops, we lose the slide. But I don't believe that the word of God is ultimately given to make us comfortable. Okay? What does it mean to believe and proclaim? Check out those, those words are not, right? So inspired scripture, okay? Believe and proclaim. That isn't an, uh, just, well, let's see, let's put those two. No, God intentionally inspires scripture. Those two words are together, believe and proclaim, believe and proclaim, Okay? You can't separate those as we see in our text. So if you stop believing the full gospel, including the resurrection, eternal life with Christ in a glorified body, you stop believing that like the Corinthian church is headed off the tracks doing. You stop studying scripture. You spend more time listening to the world's professionals, right? They're hiring professionals to come in, you know, teach us how to speak. Teach us how to be eloquent. Teach us how to impress the social clubs we want to join, right? If you fail to understand that every book in this Bible, all 66 books of your Bible, they have one point, just one point. They're pointing to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. They're not individual little sermonettes. They're, they're not, um, when you see people, and thank God you have um, a brother here that, that loves the word, that preaches the word, the entire word. When you see scripture taken out of context, you know, grain of salt, because you need that context. You need to understand what's around it, what type of scriptures. This is a letter. This is a letter that we're reading. Um, but when you stop doing all that, when you stop understanding fully the, the full gospel, 
um, or never begin, perhaps, um, you never proclaim the kingdom of God. And that's the reality, never beginning to proclaim the kingdom of God for a number of Christians in the world today. Those who never really fully grasp the eternal grace, the promised life with God, and they also never fully and sacrificially care for others, others that will die and go to hell separated from God's love and mercy from eternity, right? How can you, how can you have the love of Christ and not care that someone will step off this planet into eternity and be separated from God. The world around them is as good as it gets. And that's what we're seeing here. That's, that's Paul's, he, he's like, you know, you really? <laughs> yeah, that's what you're telling me, that this is as good as you're going to get is, is these social clubs? And, and verse 19, look what he says, verse 19. If we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, right? This is good. Your social club that you just got into, great, fantastic. We should be pitied more than anyone. And I will tell you this, um, by God's grace and mercy, I spent four, five years on the streets, uh, suburbs in Chicago doing street evangelism. The most pitiful people that I ever spoke to were people that believed that this life was it. Their countenance, right? Their countenance was just, you know, I, I mean, you talk to people that believe in reincarnation, you know, at least they're creative. They're going, yeah, I'm going to come back as a, you know, emperor or whatever, you know. Okay, we can work. Let's work with that. Let's talk about how that works. How do I learn about that? Okay, oh, there is nothing. Okay, so you're making it up. Okay, here, take a look at eyewitness accounts. But, but people that think that this life is it are the most desperate. And believe me, they're here in Hastings. They're out there, out, right outside the door here. They're right out there. And so go talk to them. Go, go say, look, you know, um, what if, just what if, I'm not asking you to go all the way with me, but what if this isn't it? And so, you know, 70, 80 years of life, maybe 90 if, if we're really blessed with good health, um, when we live with an eternal focus, uh, then we realize that the grace that we've been given, it isn't earned, it isn't achieved, there's nothing we can do. It's based on God's love. And we proclaim God's kingdom and his truth to people who don't know Jesus. Um, we see Christian soldiers like Paul and the apostles, so many brave men and women throughout the years lived as soldiers in a war that's been won by Christ. But we have to fight daily continually, right? It's, it's like, okay, you, you knew the score of the game already, and you can go to that next slide if you want. Um, we knew the score of the game, but we've got to get out and play anyway. We've got to take some ref hits. Some of us aren't, are going to be carried off the field. And, and that's our Christian life. We already know we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory, right? That's Chip Ingram. Uh, you know, and, and so um, we have to hold on to that. We're at war. We've got an invisible enemy, and fear is one of his biggest weapons, right? We all agree to that. Um, will people still like me if I live fully devoted for Christ? Uh, will someone hurt my family because I'm a Christian? So fear, listen to me, fear is a gospel-advancing stopper. You live with fear, you will not be a gospel-advancer, okay? Uh, and this was no doubt one of the reasons the Apostle Paul brings this church into accountability. He says, look, this is the gospel. This is what you heard, and this is what you believed. Um, and fear is a real and growing concern today. I get that. Uh, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that there's no danger living your life as a bold kingdom believer. I'm not saying that. 
I'm saying it's the only way to live your life as a kingdom believer. If you believe you're a soldier engaged in fighting this war that many may come to know Christ. You're fighting this war now with us, us in Brazil where the enemy is absolutely entrenched, right? The enemy has a stronghold there and it's growing every day. That's why we are so thankful that you're getting us there because it is darkness. It's darkness. Um, Paul tells his spiritual son Timothy, uh, a pastor in 2 Timothy, he says, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of the civilian life. He seeks to please the recruiter, right? You're recruited. You guys are in if you're a believer. In verses 8 to 10, he says, keep your attention on Jesus Christ. This is in 2 Timothy. As risen from the dead and descended from David, this is according to my gospel. I suffer for it to the point of being bound like a criminal, but God's message is not bound. This is why I endure all things for the elect, so that they may also obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy. So question two, go back to that, and then I'll close. Um, how does the kingdom of God reshape our living as believers and members of the kingdom of God today as Christians? Well, as we sit here, um, at this moment, there's 3 billion, 3 billion people alive who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tens of millions of those live where Regina and I are, and our team are, are deploying to. Tens of millions. And my uncomfortable conclusion, this is my uncomfortable conclusion, there's a slippery slope when we fail to understand any one part of the gospel, as Paul points out here. Look at verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you're in your sins. We can't believe only part of the gospel because each truth, each truth is interconnected. We do not have chapters and verses isolated from the others. We have people attending services around the world who are not converted. Listen to me. We have people attending church services around the world who are not converted. They don't believe fully that Jesus is, is Christ, that he's risen, that he'll come again. Um, they may come out of fear, right? Safe place, good people, good food, warm, okay? And then they find out that our churches are not perfect. So they look for another place that they can feel safe. The problem is, and if you go to that next slide for me, the problem is our focus is not supposed to be on us. It's not our focus for the believers on Christ, what he's already done for us. Right? Amen? A love greater than this world has ever seen by God through Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the focus for us who believe is on those who do not know him. The focus is on loving one another, treating each other as more precious, more valuable than gold, right? Laying down our lives for one another. So it's a tough reality, but this is the gospel. This is, this is the precious Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and I worship his holy name that we serve. We have the privilege of serving. His work is finished, right? We've won. Every single Christian... <laughs> It's going home to be with Christ and receive the reward bought and paid for by Jesus, by his blood. 
sinless, perfect, God in human flesh, right? Believing on his name will be raised with him on the final day. Conversion produces people in love with the Lord who love one another. They want to tell the world about Jesus, his love and grace, because they've been given everything, right? There's nothing more they want. There's nothing more they can get. Nothing that the world can do to them to keep them from their reward in the kingdom of heaven. That's so radical to a world preaching such a different message. It's radical faith. And I totally get, I understand that there's human fear, and that's why God gives, God gives us to one another to love and pray and support. No soldier fights alone, right? Um, we're not deploying alone. We have team members with us. We have you here praying for us. Please pray for us. We're the body and the bride of Christ. The gates of Hades, the gates of hell, he has promised will not prevail against us in Matthew 16. You're invincible. You are invincible until the work that Christ has appointed you to do is finished. Okay? Look at the lives of the apostles. We see Christians fully convinced that the kingdom of God is more real than this life. We see revivals happen. That's when revival happens. When you believe and understand that what's coming and what has been is more real than what you can touch and feel today, revival happens. Your day of birth was determined by God. Your last day on earth is determined by God, but not your last day of life. You're promised eternal life if you fully believe in the kingdom of God. That's the good news because of Christ. You're forgiven. You have a glorified body. But when your life is finished here, you will be with Christ if you have believed on his name. I had a very dear brother in Haiti serving there and uh, was stabbed to death. He was happy to go. Nothing he wanted more than to go serve. He's in glory with Christ. And if he were standing here right now, George, my brother George, he'd say, brother, don't you, don't you weep for me. He says, you go out there and you tell people. Stood by that man on the streets of Chicago doing evangelism, passing out water to people. This is the good news. You've been forgiven. In the cost, the fear is gone because fear is temporary, like life on earth. And Paul warns the church in Corinth. He says, he says, don't live out a useless faith. Right? You can advance that slide, brother, if you want for him. He says, don't live out a useless faith. Right? And he warns them to hold on. He says, the purpose of the church is to glorify Christ and proclaim the gospel. Right? The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. In verses 2 and 3 of our text, he says, you're saved. You're saved by it. You hold on to that message I proclaim to you unless you believe for no purpose. I passed on to you what is most important. Just listen to these promises from our loving God and then let them encourage you. We're going to prepare our hearts for, for communion. So just, just let these soak in and let them ring out as true in your hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 41.10 Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. Romans 8, 15 through 17. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we're God's children. And if we're children, 
also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. John 14, 1 through 7. So let these soak into your hearts as we prepare to take communion together. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? If I go prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you myself. That where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then finally, from our, our New Testament, do not lay up, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Our lives reshaped as believers and members of the kingdom of God, when we lay everything else aside to follow our Lord and Master, sharing his truth with the world, the foot of the cross is where we belong as his followers. Uh, the resurrection, our promise for life everlasting. Christ is risen, risen indeed. You pray with me. Father God, we are beyond amazed, beyond shocked at the things you can do, at the things that you have done, at the things you will do. Father, I'm so grateful to be standing here as your humble servant that you've chosen, that you have given new life to. I thank God for my brothers and sisters here. I love them dearly. Regina and I love them. Lord, strengthen this body, build this body. Let it just flow out into this community with your love, with your grace, with your power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the correction that you inspired Paul to give to the church at Corinth, that we too may be corrected and inspired and challenged that our theology matters, our doctrine matters. Believing in the whole gospel, holding on to that means that we move forward in power and strength by your Holy Spirit. Father, would you just, for all my brothers and sisters today here who are, are hurting, who are, are feeling helpless, who are feeling as if um, they don't have the strength to move forward, Father, would you just empower them by the, the power of your Holy Spirit to instill in them your sense of power, your sense of light and love and grace that they've been given. Move them among this body with love. Move them among this community with love. Thank you for their prayers for us in Brazil, moving among people who have never heard your name. May they know your name, Father. May they know your name, Jesus. Holy Spirit, may, may they know you as the triune God. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.